Welcome to Take This Poem Podcast, where we explore the rich, wild things that good poems can do in the everyday lives of ordinary folks. I'm your host, Mary Guidis. Whether you're a longtime poetry lover like I am, or just barely interested, I invite you to take this poem. I hope it amends the soil of your life. Hello. As I was mulling and brooding and stewing over what poems I could bring for summer poetry episodes, the cloud of ideas started to clump themselves into categories in my mind. One of the categories is gardening. I know it's only been a few episodes since I brought you gardening poems. Hopefully you aren't sick of them. Hopefully enough time has passed that you're ready for a few more. But part of summer, as I sit out loafing and lazing over my coffee in the mornings and evenings, is admiring our beautiful garden, which is 100% courtesy of my husband, Farmer Ben. I'm going to dedicate this episode to him and to all the work he puts in to our beautiful vegetable garden. Uh, The kids do get wrangled into it also, and one of the poems I have today touches on that. But in general, he's the one who puts in his muscle and sweat and care every year, and we all benefit. So I have a few gardening poems today. The first one is by the one and only Robert Frost. It's called Putting in the Seed, so it's actually a spring poem but you have to have the spring planting to get to the summer bounty. So let's start with that, Putting in the Seed by Robert Frost. You come to fetch me from my work tonight when supper's on the table, and we'll see if I can leave off burying the white soft petals fallen from the apple tree. Soft petals, yes, but not so barren quite mingled with these smooth bean and wrinkled pea, and go along with you ere you lose sight of what you came for and become like me, slave to a springtime passion for the earth, how love burns through the putting in the seed, on through the watching for that early birth, when just as the soil tarnishes with weed, the sturdy seedling with arched body comes shouldering its way and shedding the earth crumbs. If I'm looking for Ben in the springtime, especially in May, he's done with school before the rest of us. It's often, he can often be found in the greenhouse or the garden. And even though I am a very lazy gardener because every moment that I'm gardening is taking away from my time to read and I start to be panicked about that, I love the scene here of a wife coming to bring her husband in from the gardening and getting wrapped up in it herself if she doesn't watch out. There are so many big things in nature that blow our minds when you think about the universe and galaxies But there's also something about zooming in smaller and smaller and smaller to the tiniest things in nature that almost have an equal amount of magic and mystery to them. And the last couple lines of the seed 
with its arched body shouldering its way up through the soil. That's a really good image. I hope Ben listens to this so he can hear that last couple lines. Um, I can just picture that going in and seeing it. And I love when the case of the seed is still sort of stuck on the seedling's head. It's so tempting to use your fingernail to pick it off and help it, but don't do it. The seedling's so tender and fragile, it's easy to hurt it when you're trying to help it get the bean case off of its little leaves. Just let it struggle. It knows what to do. How? How does it know what to do? The more you look and think about it, the more incredible it is to see that tiny being doing what it was made to do so powerfully and with no brain. I'm going to read this one more time. It has 15 lines. I was just counting to see if it was a sonnet, but he threw in an extra line to be spicy. But with those two rhyming lines at the end, let's just call it a sonnet. Feels like a couplet to me. Here's Putting in the Seed by Robert Frost. You come to fetch me from my work tonight when supper's on the table. We'll see if I can leave off burying the white soft petals fallen from the apple tree. Soft petals, yes, but not so barren quite, mingled with these smooth bean and wrinkled pea. And go along with you, ere you lose sight of what you came for and become like me, slave to a springtime passion for the earth. How love burns through the putting in the seed, on through the watching for that early birth, when just as the soil tarnishes with weed, the sturdy seedling with arched body comes, shouldering its way and shedding the earth crumbs. The second poem I have today is by Clemens Stark, an Oregon poet. He writes a lot about work. He's one of my recent favorites. This is from his book, Journeyman's Wages. The poem's called Cutting the Grass. And when I think about my husband's gardening, one of the things I love is how it does involve the whole family. We aren't always happy about it. And yet there's times where we just have to all get out there in various ways being involved. And this one um, is a domestic scene such as that. Cutting the Grass by Clemens Stark. When the power mower quits, I pick up the scythe and attack the vegetation like a stormtrooper, cutting a swath in the overgrown yard. My children rake and fork it into piles, not without grumbling a little, but mildly. All afternoon, with breaks for lemonade, we give the place a haircut. Grass piles multiply. Hollows and hummocks appear. Avoiding his shadow, the black cat steps gingerly through the stubble. A single yellow jacket mirrors what's left of the sun. My father had a scythe, identical to this one, standing there, wiping his brow with a white handkerchief. 
Come closer, children. This is the kingdom of heaven. Look. I should mention also, sweet as it was, for dessert that night, we had chocolate pudding. If you're listening and you are a poet, an aspiring poet, you can study this poem. Did you, did you hear, did you see, did you feel what he did there? Starting, I mean, I know I'm always yakking on and on about this balance of the metaphysical and the physical and the big picture and the actual concrete image. But he starts with this simple scene of using an old fashioned tool to do a timeless task of cutting grass and goes from that so subtly and lightly into family history, his childhood, his memories of his father using a similar tool, that connectedness to past generations, and then into theology, the kingdom of heaven. Those are billion dollar words for a grass mowing poem. Come closer children, this is the kingdom of heaven. But he doesn't end there. He comes back to, it can't get much more simple and plain and everyday than chocolate pudding for dessert. And that's where it ends. There's the tension there. This is what real life is like. So many hours are simple and full of chores. Behind the veil, there's something bigger that we can't see. These things are connected. Physical work is spiritual work. The kingdom of heaven is partly here, but it's not one or the other. And any poem that can bring those two things together and say it isn't just the material, there's something more, but also it isn't, we can't just all be stuck in philosophy and theology and big ideas all the time. We have grass to cut. Any poem that brings those things together earns my respect. And this one does it in such a light and fun way. It doesn't have to be super serious. I wasn't planning to read this one again because it is so simple, but I will read it one more time and keep your ears out for that just super impressive balance of the large and small that Clement Stark achieves in this poem, Cutting the Grass. When the power mower quits, I pick up the scythe and attack the vegetation like a stormtrooper, cutting a swath in the overgrown yard. My children rake and fork it into little piles, not without grumbling a little, but mildly. All afternoon, with breaks for lemonade, we give the place a haircut. Grass piles multiply, hollows and hummocks appear, Avoiding his shadow, the black cat steps gingerly through the stubble. A single yellow jacket mirrors what's left of the sun. My father had a scythe, identical to this one, standing there wiping his brow with a white handkerchief. Come closer, children. This is the kingdom of heaven. Look. I should mention also, sweet as it was, for dessert that night, we had chocolate pudding. The last poem 
I have today is a new acquaintance to me. Most things I bring you are old friends, but I found this one yesterday when I was searching for a different poem, and it struck my fancy. I really like it. It's called In Defense of Our Overgrown Garden. And the form and content go well together. This poem itself is a little bit of a mess, and I mean that in the most kind way. Um, I think it's like an overgrown garden. The voice is a wife or woman speaking to her husband or lover in a letter-like address. And it's talking a lot about the garden going a little nuts, not being approved of by the neighbors. And this poem doesn't have punctuation, has long lines jammed together. It looks like a big chunk, maybe of 20 lines on the page. And it does this interesting before and after, like in Wheel of Fortune thing, where there's times that the last few words of one phrase could serve as the first few words of the next idea or phrase. I know that sounds confusing, and it might be when I read it, but I think it adds to that overgrown feeling. Vines tangling together um, as the garden grows and starts sagging and clustering together in ways you didn't plan. And So if it sounds confusing, just go along for the ride and enjoy the fun of somebody bringing together form and content into one in this overgrown, chaotic sort of way. And her voice, I think, is winsome and playful and enjoyable and um, it sold me on this poem. And I read a lot of poems. I really do. And there's a lot out there that don't get me. They might if I spent more time with them. They absolutely might. Or they might if I was in a different mood. But it's actually a pretty rare experience to read a brand new poem and think, oh, I like that. I want to read that again. So I'm delighted to be able to share the fruit of my explorations with you here. I will end with this poem read one time in defense of our overgrown garden by Matea Harvey. Last night, the apple trees shook and gave each lettuce a heart. Six hard red apples broke through the greenhouse glass and landed in the middle of those ever so slightly green leaves that seem no mix of seeds and soil but of pastels and light and chalk X's mark our oaks that are supposed to be cut down. I've seen the neighbors frown when they look over the fence and see our espalier pear trees bowing out of shape. I did like that. They looked like candelabras against the wall. But what's the sense in swooning over pruning? I said. To Mrs. Jones, and I swear she threw her cane at me and walked off down the street without. It has always puzzled me that people coo over bonsai trees, when you can squint your eyes and shrink anything without much of. A struggle ensued with some starlings and the strawberry nets, so after untangling the two, I took the nets off and watched birds with red beaks fly by all morning at the window. I reread your letter about how the castles you flew over made crenellated shadows on. The water in the rain barrel has overflowed and made a small swamp. I think the potatoes might turn out slightly damp. Don't worry. If there is no fog on the day you come home, I will build a bonfire 
so the smoke will make the cedars look the way you like them. To close, I'm sorry, there won't be any salad, and I love you. Part of my vision for this podcast was to have it be interactive. I pictured a virtual bonfire poetry reading, where friends, family, local poets, and you can come together to warm our hands on some poetry. If there's a poem that has done some action in your everyday life, surprised you, delighted you, or maybe just more quietly worked its way into your bones, you know I would love to hear about it. Email me at takethispoempodcast at gmail.com and let me know your story. Maybe you can join me in sharing it with others as well.